Hello and welcome to Dan and Dara Doobility. This is episode 53. I am Dara McNicholas. And I'm Dan Airy. Dan, good morning. How are you? Good morning. Not too bad. A little bit up and down. I can understand what you were talking about last week when you were talking about COVID and everything and the frustrations around it. Um, but yeah, not doing too bad. How are you? Good, yeah. You know, life is life, I suppose, Dan. Um, you know, there's going to be ups and downs. Um I suppose it's been able to bounce back and uh, have you know, a very important to talk, I suspect, actually. Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. not to be bottling up uh, all sorts of bits and pieces because your head will explode and mm. you'll be absolutely no use to anybody going down the road in your wheelchair with no head on. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, Dan, a couple of things to talk about today. And I think we should start with um, the BBC's Disability A New History and an amazing series we've been uh, listening to from uh, Peter White. Interesting one, this one. Wooden legs and wheelchairs. Yes. So it, it centres around 18th and 19th century technology, which, as you mentioned, is uh, focused a lot on wooden legs, fully enough. Uh, so you might be thinking you're, you're we're talking about pirates. No, this is... Derby ah, <laughs> pirates and their wooden peg legs. Ah, down with that sort of thing. Absolutely. Uh, but no, this, this was actually quite commonplace. Um, Marcus of Anglesey uh, popularised the wooden leg at the time. Uh, now, with that being said, they were very expensive. Um, so it was quite kind of a, a higher end of society, if you want to call it that, a, a kind of a, an upper class. Uh, I suppose it hasn't changed much really, though, Dan, to some degree. In, no, okay. I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot more prosthetics now, but I mean, if you have more money, you'll get a better prosthetic. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, if you if you're on, I would say if you're on the social welfare, but if you're relying on the state, you'll get a certain level. Yeah. Obviously, there the marquee of uh, Anglesey, and I mean, obviously, he had a few bob. He was somewhere in the uh, higher ech- echelons of uh, the the this of society. You mm-hmm. know, so he could afford better, so he bought better. So, yeah, I suppose yeah. the poorer you are, the more less wooden your leg is going to be. And, and yeah, absolutely. And I, I suppose just to give a bit of context to that, like the core equivalent, I suppose, was a stump on top of a wooden stick. That is more pirate. Yeah, it certainly is. Yeah. yeah. But why that? Why, oh, why, oh, why did we see so much disability in the 18th and 19th, late 18th and early 19th century? It was uh, to do with the war with France. Good. There's not uh, quite like a good war, I think, to uh, bring on um, technology um, mm-hmm. and yeah. medical science, really. I suppose that's one of the things that certainly helps. Absolutely. I mean, I, I, I do remember kind of as terrible as it is, but I, I, I do remember like hearing about like around when they were talking about World War Two and World, World War Two in particular, there was a war economy in in the fact that like um, manufacturing just skyrocketed and, and everything like that. Um, and it was even like, even back then, injuries were seen as uh, romantic, believe it or not. I, I do, and I suppose to a certain extent, Dan, uh, that the kind of had to be a little bit seen that way. You know, how many people are going to rush rush off to the front uh, knowing they're going to get killed or, um, you know, that, that they're certainly going to be cannon fodder when they get there. 
and not kind of have that whole romantic issue of of war and you know oh we're doing a great thing here and uh, the girls know what to do uh, a man in uniform but obviously the reality is very very different yes 100 percent um and this was um spoken about through um the diaries of one thomas jackson who was a soldier who lost his leg um in in the war and he gave a unique account of what it's like to have your leg wound dressed so this is after having it um amputated and I suppose it goes without saying that they didn't have the technology they have these days to uh, do those amputations. But again, it was, like it was something that was developing. Um, I mean, you saw mm-hmm. the, civil, the Civil War in America as well. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they generally just kind of lopped off your leg if, if you had any sort of an injury just to try and save your life. Yeah. Things, things have thankfully moved on a little bit since then. But Absolutely. It's generally wars. It's, there's a good war that brings on all the healthcare. Yeah, absolutely. As terrible as that is, but yeah. Uh, Thomas was no different because he had a year's worth of operations um, to try and to try and fix his leg. Someone showed that himself and I think it was his wife at the time uh, moved to right behind the hospital um, because he was having so, so much uh, work done. And um, by the time he was all sorted, he was given a free wooden leg as a gratuity for kind of saying, thanks, here you go. Wow. Great. Yeah. That's super. Go off there and fight for your country, lose your leg, and here's a free wooden leg. Thanks very much. Yeah, move Yay. on. Yeah, it is. It's like, wow, that's just... He saw himself as an outcast um, as a result of that. As you would, I suppose, uh, in, in those times kind of when you, you've had the life you've had and then it kind of just essentially disappears a lot of it but in fact he did lead quite an independent life so in in that in that sense the wooden leg didn't necessarily hamper him um because he led an independent life uh with a variety of jobs after that and uh, wrote some memoirs into into his 60s I think it was. Which is um, which is which is a pretty good age. But then again, I suppose it was the time of Lord Nelson. Yeah, absolutely. It was you very know, much where very much romanticized. And uh-huh. you know, losing his arm. He losing an arm and a leg and an eye or something or pretty much he lost a lot anyway, standing on the deck there with his hand in his jacket. Uh yeah. So I mean it was kind of very much um go off the war there and you're you'll be fine. You'll be grand. The girls love mm. a uniform. But speaking of girls, Dan, there isn't a huge amount of records when it comes to disabled women. Yes. Um, and I, I suppose to some degree uh, that is similar these days. It's a lot better, but to some degree it's similar in that we, we don't hear as much stories about women in in media i do think it's it's improving but uh, yeah as you mentioned back in those days uh records of disabled women in particular were were scarce um there was uh they were talking on the podcast about um an academic found 
letters from a nurse that was looking after uh, a spinster by the name of Mary Hartley, who was a sister of an MP um, and a candidate for a wheelchair, but she didn't have one. Um, she, she thought that gadgets, I suppose, um, were for entertainment rather than function, which is interesting. <laughs> It, it is interesting, I suppose, but I mean, yeah, it, there's, uh, I think they also made a kind of point in the podcast as well that the gadgets were, were seen more for kind of manly men who were dashing do and still had a life to live and were getting mm -hmm. around the place and, and women were just expected to be just sitting around to some degree. Why would they be running around in the first place anyway? Sure, they've nowhere to be going. Yeah. Uh, which I think is, yeah, fair enough uh, to some degree. Um, but Clearly not, the, clearly not the best option, I suppose. Absolutely, 100%. And I thought it was it was interesting that um, one of the things that they mentioned was disability at the time was more about what society expects of you uh, rather than what your body can actually achieve. That's true as well. And I think there's, there's one reference to it as well as... Um, along with the peg legs, um, that, yeah, if you're really, really poor, you might end up with a trolley um, mm -hmm. that's, or something that looked pretty much like a skateboard so you were able to scoot around. And that, those were obviously very popular with the poor, but he did say, or one of the accounts that he was reading out said hundreds of people with disabilities on the streets of London mm -hmm. at the time. But as well as 22 years of war with France is going to give you that. Certainly is. Certainly is. Um, and I... I kind of looked at that and it kind of struck a chord with me to some degree. I'm not like this is by no means a, a direct comparison because we've gotten so much better these days. But uh, it, it it's kind of gone. It feels like it's gone the opposite way around. You think? In that like society expects, I don't know whether they expect less of us or... I suppose maybe, it comes maybe. back. It comes back to the whole creatorism and and yeah, uh, yeah. Lord, look at the poor creator there. Sure, what could he be doing? Do you know, and again, previous episodes of of, of a uh, disability new history where we've seen people with disabilities doing much a, a much wider range of jobs, whether mm -hmm. that's nursing or, or laying out the dead or uh, yeah, pretty much all jobs rather than sort of kind of going ah, well, listen. You know, you won't be able to do that. Um, so let's not bother. But we can have him probably packing boxes somewhere. He'll be fine. In a nice controlled environment where he can't harm himself or anybody else for that matter. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. That, yeah, no, it was just kind of something that, uh, no, I, that might change over time, but it was kind of just something that I, that kind of jumped out at me and I was like, hmm, interesting mm. And yeah, I, I think as you said, Dar, it, it does kind of definitely come back to the protectionism element of it. Um, and I suppose if, if we can like curate our, our culture into kind of amalgamating the two of those together in, in, in some senses, not in all senses, because we've improved in, in a lot of different ways, as we mentioned before. Yeah. Um, now, you were present at a sport and disability workshop during the week. 
I was Dan uh, online, of course. Um, you know, in in the safety mm-hmm. of the um, in the safety of the web, uh, where we all seem to uh, hang out these days. And this was um, put on by, or say, it's a course that's run by Cara, who are about sports inclusion in Ireland. Excellent. It was. It was really good, actually. Uh, the um, it's just a sports inclusion and disability uh, awareness online workshop and. I don't know where I wandered across it, Dan. I think it was came through probably South Dublin County Council, um, where I, w- I would regularly go wandering about. And it's for individuals with an interest in increasing uh, their awareness in sport and physical activity for people with disabilities. And I said to myself, I think that might be a little bit interesting. I should go and have a look at that. So I signed up, went on to Eventbrite and got me a little ticket and, 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 and sat by. And then I got an email and I said, you know, are you sure you really want to be on this? Because there's loads of people uh, applying for this. And uh, if, you know, you're really not interested. So I kind of went, oh, gee, God, do I really actually belong here? I said, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to I'm gonna dig in here now and I'm going to stay for it. It wasn't aimed at me particularly. It was, I think it was just a general, if, the, if you can't make just it. Just a general thing. Yeah, you know, if you can't make it, let us know. So there's, because there's loads of other people that had a limited number on it, which was great as well. And it was hosted by uh, Lucy Cush, who is a sports uh, inclusion disability officer with South Dublin County Council, and Brian O'Donnell, who is the uh, sports inclusion disability officer for Dunleary Rat Down Council. So both of those are responsible from a council point of view for, um, obviously, as it says, sports inclusion for people with disabilities. And that's everything from GA to soccer to uh, leisure centres. Uh, and get people into leisure centres. So they're they're kind of pretty much responsible for all of those things. Um, and they're there from a council point of view to help clubs if they say to themselves, well, how are we going to deal with people with disability? And it was kind of interesting where, where we've had a chat with um, the ability team um, from the Irish Wheelchair Association. And one of the things that came up in that was the fear we have mm. of saying the wrong thing. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and saying... Oh, how am I going to address a person with disability? Or uh, I even find myself, I even catch myself. And I think that's probably why it came up when we were talking to the ability team because I was, oh, what, what am I going to call them? Disabled, able-bodied, uh, less, differently abled, um, less than disabled. I don't know. <laughs> and you kind of get yourself into a sort of a, I don't know what I'm going to say next. I'm going to offend somebody. But I think the, the kind of general opinion is as long as it's going from the right place, just do your best. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, you know, it's you're, you're probably going to, um offend probably less people um so it's just it was aimed kind of like an individual's interest in increasing their awareness in sport and physical activity for people with disabilities and i suppose to some degree uh when my kids were growing up i had um an interest well i, I was not that i had an interest i was involved in coaching uh with okay. soccer and and gaa um as, as we go through so i and it's something i really enjoyed there's nothing quite like uh a herd of kids running around the field uh, willy-nilly uh, and you're kind of like trying to get spoken into a glass uh, into a glass chair. Right. It's just, it can be just one of the most amazing things. Um, so I kind of, I from, from that point of view, but I wanted, I really did want to see what they were kind of saying from, uh, from the disabled point of view. And it was literally very much all about inclusion. Excellent. Yeah, so at the end of it, really, what they wanted to do was make sure that, that, that people would have an understanding of disability. Okay. Um, and then kind of to be able to distinguish between the different disability impairment groups. And a lot of it was how 
how to include people with a disability. And right. it was even kind of into, into sort of mainstream training sessions rather than just kind of setting up uh, a soccer group for people with um, mobility issues or setting up yeah. a wheelchair, not that uh, we say specifically setting up a wheelchair basketball team or anything like that. But it's how clubs can include yeah, it's people. All, it's all about in- integration, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, one of the points I think Brian O'Donnell was making is kind of every GAA club that was ever designed has a step in front of the changing rooms. He said it's just, and he said it's not something he ever thought about, but until he kind of somebody pointed it out to him or he was looking at himself, he kind of went, there you go, there's a step. There's a step. There's another step. Uh, You know, they were never really designed for people with disabilities. And that's not not, not picking Mm. on GAA, but that's just the way things were designed. Yeah. Um, you know, where he said whether it was to stop places flooding or not, he didn't really know, but it was just and uh, I I suppose I suppose again, like it's something that we were talking about with the ability program, it's all about the conversations. It is all about the conversations, um, and getting people in and how you can change uh, a training program, which is something as a as a coach you have to do anyway, because of something I would have noticed when I when I was coaching soccer you'd have maybe 15 kids uh, and you wouldn't know what version of a particular child was going to turn up, whether they'd had Cocoa Pops that morning <laughs> or Wheatabix or no breakfast uh, before a match or, you know, um, you, you'd be just right. kind of, you'd have this great idea in your head when we're going to do, right, we're going to do whatever. Passing, we'd have all the drills and I, I was very organised. It was actually, I, I, I quite enjoyed it. But then you get half a three-year session and you're just going, Right, let's have a game because, you know, nobody switched on. Nobody is, so you have to change it. But within any group of kids, you're going to have kids of different abilities. You're going to have Mm -hmm. some very talented footballers and you're going to have other kids who are just there because they kind of have to be there or they were made to be there. Mm -hmm. Or you'd you'd find actually there's lots of kids with undiagnosed issues. Right, okay. Um, We say on the autistic spectrum, which would have become uh, more apparent later on in life. But at the time, you know, you'd have kids who just can't cue, who, um, you know, you'd, you'd find them standing in the middle of the pitch looking up at the airplanes, happy out. Um, right. And you're kind of wondering sort of what's going on here. I mean, clearly you're not, you're not clinically designed to be able to diagnose anything, but, you know, there's all sorts of different abilities on it. Um, and I think it'd be no harm for a lot of coaches, I think, to, to sort of go on a course like this. Um, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's it is kind of very it, it's quite insightful. When not even a kid, yeah, not even for dealing with kids with disability or people with disability, just dealing just with kids generally. Yeah, yeah, you know. Because... I I think it was it was interesting you mentioned there kind of about like talking about integration and like not having groups that were just disabilities or, or things like that. I think it's a matter of, uh, and you can agree with me or, or, or disagree with me on this, I think it's a matter of integrating courses like that, as you were saying, into a standard program of coaching. Yeah, I think definitely. And But see, there's, there's a point as well, though, at, at some stage in this where it stops being fun and it becomes competitive. 
And it's always been a problem and it's always going to be a problem. I mean, I go to hopefully when things open back up again, the, the GAA academies are going to start opening up again. And you see kids going in and it's just full of life. It's just it, it, it's an amazing thing to see. At that is, it's, it's all about the fundamentals, just, you know, kicking, running, hopping, skipping, jumping, throwing a ball, catching it, whatever. It's got nothing to do with GEA effectively. Right, yeah, yeah. And it's just, you know, there could be 150 kids up there just going nuts, running around the place, having the best time in their life. But as it moves along through the ages and they start getting put into teams and it's still not competitive, but you're always going to have that competitiveness. Nobody likes to lose, you know, and then it's kind of kids who are weaker, get either weeded out or leave and there is always going to be mm. competition involved in everything and that's where it gets really really difficult is losing people along the way and it's fine saying yeah but it's great it's inclusion for everybody and it's super but there's a bigger chunk somewhere in the middle of that that just wants to win and it's not just parents it's kids as well mm-hmm. and nobody loves you- losing and and do you think there there's a solution to that, or do you think it's just the way it is, so to speak? I think to some degree it's just the way it is. Then uh, I'd love to I'd love to know to see if there's a solution, but I don't think there is. I I really don't think there is. It's not like I mean, if you look at any team sport, and I mean talking about underage, obviously, you know, as you're going through and and you, you do want to win. And it's fine turning up and playing every week and you certainly don't want to lose every week. But if you're losing because of a couple of team members who just simply aren't up to speed, uh, you know, do you say that every team has to have a certain proportion of people to level the playing field across all teams? Yeah, I think you're kind of, that comes back to then the quota issue that, and that's never really like... No, it's never an answer. I mean, you're supposed to have a quota in yeah. politics for many women you're supposed to have in. You know, that clearly these, these things are, are, are difficult. And mm. then is it down to your Paralympics where you're kind of saying, well, it's T2, F1, G3. Uh, you're trying to quantify uh, a particular disability. You know, and I know there's plenty of kids out there who have different issues, who are doing perfectly well and are probably doing better than most. And sometimes they, they're, they're very misunderstood because mm. of the conditions that they're, that they're living with. Uh, yeah, they might absolutely. be seen as they might be seen as unruly, uh, lippy, um, but once you get once you see it and you know it and you understand how to work with them, it becomes a different sort of thing. Mm. You know, I've seen it over the years. Like kids will, will kind of like a referee blow whistle and go, "That's a free," and they're going, "Why is that a free?" And referees mostly do not want to be talking to anybody. <laughs> you know, but all that kid wants is an explanation. Yeah. And as to why, he's not that interested that it was a free or something, just like what went wrong. Can you tell me what went wrong? What, what happened there? Why did, you do, why did you blow that free against me? What did I do? And like the referee be kind of like, you're a bloody little troublemaker. You are, I'm going to get you in a minute. You know, and then it just kind of escalates and it snowballs into sort of that kid is trouble. Mm. Whereas they are not really. And I, I suppose it all comes back to like it's a common, I, I feel like it's a common theme with everything to do with disability, no matter what it is, is just like having the time to like explain things and like having the time to to listen and have conversations about, as, as we were saying earlier on, having conversations about these things. And yeah. like 
it's one of those things where I I've been conscious in the past about being a broken record about talking about the same thing over and over again and making the same point. But the reality of it is that needs to happen until something improves. Yes. But at the end of the day, there has to be rules on a fit on a playing pitch. Oh yeah. No, I, I suppose. Sorry. Yeah. And you can't, I know, but I'm just, the other point of it is that you can't make a, like you can't, do you put a sign on a kid's back going, um, this guy has, uh, a ADHD. Oh you no! Know, absolutely. Make allowances yeah, yeah. for his behavior on the pitch. You can't, like, you, you can't kick people, irregardless of who you are. Yeah, you know. So I think, well, yeah. Anyway, to go back to the course before Dara goes off on one, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. No, but I mean, I think that's where I, I they, they kind of said twenty six of twenty twenty six of people twenty six percent of, or there's a twenty six percent unemployment rate for for people with disability. Which and that is, affects um, their access to sport as well. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. so if you want to go to the gym, you generally have to drive there. I mean, if you can't afford to, if you can't afford to drive there, if you, you don't have a driving license, if you don't have access to transport. Um, now, I know you spent an awful lot of time up the Bray Rollers. Yeah. Um, and getting there and getting in and getting out. Uh, um, and when, when, when things like that are on, you know, so access to buildings where you can actually uh and i think it was um brian o'donnell from the from dublin dunleary ratdown was kind of saying they have a lot of leisure centers in dunleary ratdown but not all of them are wheelchair accessible yeah upstairs they've no lifts and he said a lot of the classes happen upstairs in these buildings so you know whether it's pilates or something or whatever yeah, you know, and it's not necessarily for people with a wheelchair. It's we say people who are impaired to whatever degree, they simply can't get at them. And he was kind of saying it's in most cases it's going to be far more expensive to retrofit a building to actually build a new one. So they kind that's, of that's the thing is that it's like so simple to just think about it and go, this goes. I, I feel like so many issues around disability go beyond disability, particularly around access. Like this. If it's accessible for somebody with a disability, it's accessible full stop. Yeah, yeah. But he was kind of, you know, the point he was kind of making was that the buildings are old. So it's not, it obviously clearly wasn't designed like that, but for them to get out of the building, it's going to cost as much to retrofit it. So they're kind of in a situation where they'll either just be let go eventually or they will be replaced in time. But it's just there's just no funds for it. So, you know, somebody's mm. kind of saying it's going to cost a million to put in a lift because they have to redesign the whole building. You kind of go, how much is kind of a new centre going to cost? Is it maybe three. So kind of, geez, we can't justify spending a million on a lift. Yeah. You see, that's where the politics comes in, I suppose. That's politics, Dan, but it's money as well. You know, you kind of go, well, that money could be better spent on a bus lane or on a cycle lane or improving, improving, we say, from your point, from Marley Park and uh, benefiting more people rather than the few who might um, benefit from a lift. You know, so it, it, it's it's checks and balances, Dan. It's kind of, it's it's a mm, little bit over here, a little bit over there. Mm. What you're going to do, you know? Yeah, yeah. Interesting. 
Yeah, no, it, and it was interesting the whole the whole course, and I, I would have to say, uh, uh, thanks to Lucy uh, Cush and Brian O'Donnell for for going through it. Um, it was a good turnout as well. It was there was a bit of it was kind of the breakout rooms where you went off and had a chat with other people and kind of analysed a few little bits and pieces. And I went through the Sports Inclusion Disability Charter, which clubs can sign up to and get support. And then kind of as well, I, I think they kind of made the point where clubs are looking for grants. It certainly helps them to be uh, signed up to the Sports Inclusion Disability Charter. They'll be looked on more positively as well. if they're. And it's mm-hmm. not, again, it's not just, oh, we're signed up to it. I said, tick in the box there. Yes, uh, we, we oh, oh, yes, we are. They have to be actively involved. Um, yeah. So that was pretty good. So that's that comes through um, the Cara Centre and Cara Training. So then Excellent I stuff. think that's a pretty good place to leave it today. This has been uh, episode 53. I have been Darren McNicholas. And I'm Dan Airy. And we'll talk to you very soon.